0: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Talking IO. This is uh, one of your hosts, Stuart Harmon. With me today is? Christian Cloud. Yeah, I guess, uh, actually, I'm uh, joining Christian today. So uh, it was kind of a unique episode. I wasn't able to join our interview with Curtis Bowman, who is the director for, or I'm sorry, president of Gen Z uh, Consortium, right? A Next generation hardware technology group driving uh, kind of next gen server. Uh, Christian was able to do the interview, so we're just kind of doing a uh, a quick wrap-up uh, before the show gets started here. Uh, Christian, great interview with Curtis. Uh, I thought it was really, really fascinating stuff that we're going through. You Want to give a quick recap of it?
1: Well, I felt like the interview is pretty interesting because we're talking about the future technology, right? Like So dealing with composable infrastructure and the ability to take resources and apply it to application as needed, it's extremely interesting. To me, though, the part that really stuck out was how networking it's t- tied everything together. Again, it's something that I should have known. Um, it's because of how else are, uh, do different computers and components communicate with one another? But just I didn't realize how large a part it plays in the Gen Z, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, Gen Z vision. So that part was pretty interesting to me.
0: That's really cool. Yeah, uh, for me, I, I had a chance to to preview the the interview, obviously, before we release this. Uh, my f- most fascinating, there's a couple of things. Curtis called out something, and he just mentioned that, you know, we talk about edge here, edge, core, cloud. Um, edge is really just a rebranding of, of point of sale and being able to do more with point of sale. I thought that was an interesting way to phrase that when you're talking to marketing or talking to, you know, internal customers or stakeholders. Uh, the other one I had thought that was really fascinating was the ability to not just share these resources and re carve them up as you need them, which, you know, we get as part of composable infrastructure, but being able to knowingly take, uh, in the case he used was like GPUs that you're using for a VDI. You're not using those at night. You're not using those when employees aren't on the clock. How can you suddenly reallocate those to high performance analytics workloads, right? And so you can quickly and rapidly move in and out resources as needed um, and really I think so much of what business drives today is how to drive the highest utilization of the capital assets that we have sitting there, right? I mean, you hate to buy a $100,000 object you only use once a week. Uh, how do you take those resources, really spike up utilization? Uh, while this is all, you know, dust I think, very revolutionary, I think you can see that there's been a, a long standing, right? We were able to do a network so you could have multiple users use the same application, right? We had storage area networks, so you could drive up disk utilization we moved into um, a hypervisor so that you could drive up processor and memory memory utilization you know now it's just kind of the next turn of that same crank i think um but how we're going to get there is really cool and, and to me i just pictured this huge data center with like roars of drawers of or racks of gpus uh you know and then another big set of racks of memory and another big set of racks of processors You use drag and drop whatever you need and off your, uh, off you go. Um, so anyways, I'll, I'll let Christian and Curtis discuss it in greater depth. Uh, for those of you that want to shout out to us, uh, give us a holler. I am at Stewart at Work.
1: Christian, where are you? And I'm at CCloudIO.
0: Yeah, so hit us on Twitter. Uh, you know, you can download these episodes. Uh, if you're listening. You've already found us, but you can get us on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on kind of all the major podcast players out there um gen z consortium is is who curtis bowman is the president of uh, they have a lot of partners out there in the industry including dell technologies who christian and i both work for um really great information christian thank you for doing the recording while i was unavailable uh, it actually makes it a lot of fun to get to listen um you know when you're not part of it and get that that third party opinion so uh, i really enjoyed it thanks man yeah
1: no, absolutely and we we'll look forward to the next Hope
0: everybody one. enjoys the show Yeah, we got a few more before we go, right? we got a few more shows coming out, Uh, so keep an eye out. We should have three or four more dropping here soon. You are listening to Talking IO, a podcast about technology in the real world, where we discuss enterprise technology, how to sell it, and how it best helps your customers. Your hosts are Christian Cloud and Stuart Harmon, and we work for Dell EMC. Follow us on TalkingIO.com or on Twitter at TalkingIO.
1: Hey, Curtis. I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, um, what I wanted to do um, before we have our discussion here in terms of Gen Z and what you do is just have a brief introduction. So I'll start off with just pretty basic questions. Like First, like uh, what is your role?
2: Uh, my role is uh, a manager in the CTO team for the server group here at Dell. Okay. And what does that consist of? So what we do is we try and look forward. We look out three to five years to determine what technologies and what new architectures are coming down that really may impact the future of server design and server usage models.
1: Okay, awesome. So is it focus specific on server, I'm assuming?
2: We do. We focus on servers. There's other groups that focus on storage or networking. And then there's also a global team here that looks across all those groups, and uh, it's is typically trying to even look even further out than that uh, five-year time frame.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So why five years specifically? Good cutoff
2: point, right? Um, you know, it, it, Everything is kind of a crystal ball, but uh, <laughs> it, it's a little easier to see inside the crystal ball in that three- to five-year time frame. Mm-hmm. You can really see that people are investing in areas. Uh, when you get beyond five years, there's a, a whole lot of, well, I, I intend to invest here or – I wish that this were to occur. And so it, it's a whole different skill set of kind of helping to really prime the pump if you're looking beyond five years.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I was kind of curious too, because just from my role at Dell, by the way, I work for Dell EMC, if, if I did not make that clear early in the podcast, <laughs> it is a uh, um, I, I, uh, sales engineer. So I focus on compute specifically. So um, I I mean, know typically the life cycle of, I guess pretty much anything, right, is gonna be that three to five, up no no more than seven years. Is that pretty accurate?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the most I've ever seen is people planning kind of seven years out and and then driving that in from a vision to how do we get to a product uh, and then let the product cycle start in the, you know, one to two year time frame and then
1: off it to the market. What's something in the past that you worked on that was pretty exciting?
2: Uh, you know, I've had uh, really good fortune here at Dell to work on a lot of cool things. Uh, most recently, I, I helped to lead the effort to define our, our blade chassis, the MX-7000. Uh, it was one of those things where our M1000 blade system had done quite well and had lived 10-plus years in the market. The, the folks mm-hmm. that defined that one had really done a fantastic job. So now it was, hey, let's do that again. Uh, so a team of people we got together, and we really did a I, – I, I'm going to give a bunch of credit to those folks. They really did a great job helping to define something that can have those long legs, uh, be very easy to manage, so that it, it keeps the the management and the, the resources it takes to keep those kind of systems up and going to a minimum.
1: The uh, um, I've been around – long enough to experience both the M1000E and the MX-7000, and I'll say the, the MX-7000 uh, is such an exciting product. Do you, can you, like, high-level, because I know this is not the focus of this interview, but high-level, like, what's the difference between the two, and I guess what is it for those who don't know? Yeah, so the MX-7000 is a blade chassis
2: that is seven U tall and, and supports uh, eight compute nodes, and some of it's real cool new features was the ability to to actually thermally cool each area individually so the power supplies have their own cooling system all of the blades have their own cooling and then there's rear i-o modules and you can actually see in the front of the system where there's a vent that takes fresh air to the back modules and based on the challenges we knew from the uh, m1000e Getting those rear modules cooled was a real challenge. And with things like 200 and 400 gig Ethernet coming, we knew we needed tons of cooling in the back. Uh, So that was was unique. And part of that led into the design that actually has no midplane in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, what we called a midplaneless design was there because we used orthogonal connectors such that you could change the connectors on the the blades and the connectors on the I/O module, independent of anything else, and that meant as new technologies come down, faster copper technologies or optical technologies, it was real easy to integrate those into the design. So, that's a couple of cool features that are in that M1 or the the MX7000 that
1: weren't in the M1000E. So the M1000E, if I remember, um, did consist of a midplane. Right, but it, it sure was, did. What was I cannot remember what distinguished it uh, uh, from other. It was uh, what it was a, a passive midplane. Was that what was yeah, it? Com- completely passive. passive right? So yeah. there were
2: no no active components on the midplane at all. Uh, such that you know, essentially, you can think of it as just a bunch of wires. And by doing so, it, its failure rate was you know in the dirt, near zero, because <laughs> right. wires don't fail. Uh, you know it's the chips, it's the power components, those kind of things that can fail. and they weren't on that design so uh, really a great design and again when you think back to the 2006 time frame, I think was when it, it launched mm-hmm. it stayed around until uh, just recently. so uh, you know kudos to the folks that designed that one too.
1: That's awesome. So the, um, so you went from no mid plane. Um, and if and the, the cooling was not in zones, if my my, uh, my memory serving correct, and to, so that, those are the two. I guess there's multiple things that I'm actually yeah. aware of. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> but those are two large distinguishing factors between the old platform and the new MX seven thousand. Agreed. Yeah, and, and uh, you know they're
2: unique to the industry. Um, at least at launch, they were unique to the industry, having those cooling
1: zones and the you know no midplane. Awesome. So. The MX7, I'm glad you brought that up because I do feel like it's related to what we wanted to discuss today. Um, so, at a, um, uh, you're also a. Uh, you also have another role as well. Uh, correct in terms of uh, um, being a part of the Gen yeah. Z consortium. Exactly.
2: So in Gen Z, um, I am the president. So, uh, really, when we started looking at Gen Z and what it could do, uh, years ago. It, it was something that I took a, a large interest in and started digging into what what it might enable in the future. And, you know, kind of like they say on the commercial, I liked it so much I bought the company. Well, <laughs> I, I liked it so much I became president. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, and it's because there's such potential in what Gen Z can bring and how it can change our industry. Uh, and one of those things, back to the MX-7000, is – The MX-7000 has no expansion slots. It has no really expandable capabilities to to get to those types of devices. So Gen Z can put those devices out in the rack somewhere else, and then you can share those amongst the, the blades inside of those chassis. And so if you have FPGAs or GPUs or you want more memory, you can put all of those in discrete boxes outside and, and share it amongst the blades that would be inside the MX-7000. Or even uh, typical rack servers can do the same thing. Curtis, why the heck would I want to do that, though? Well, start thinking about the costs, right? Um, The new types of storage class memory coming out, like Intel has their 3D crosspoint, and other memory vendors are working on on similar types of technologies where with the the current stuff you're down at, at kind of, but 128 gigabytes minimum and maybe up to a terabyte maximum per DIM. Well, if I, I start to stick that or need to stick that in each of my servers, it gets really expensive. And I probably am not utilizing it all the same. And the same is true of GPUs. When you think about all the machine learning stuff that's going on, GPU is you know, $10,000, $16,000 per instance. Mm-hmm. If I put that in one server that's great, that server can use it, but if that server goes down, if that's not the system that I get to use today, uh, I now have a very expensive component that's sitting idle. If instead, if I bring it outside the box, I can attach it to any number of servers that might be needed, and so I can share that memory. I can uh, split the GPU, assigning it to one box or another, and, and that's really the big thing as we go forward is how do I effectively use my resources such that maybe I don't need to buy as many as I used to
1: or certainly I get a higher utilization rate out of them. So it sounds like the, I mean this is a hard, well let me rephrase this, this is definitely a hardware platform that we're talking about so something tangible but it sounds like some of the um, tenets were, are similar to the early tenets of virtualization. Being able to take Advantage of um, uh, the resources um, of uh, multiple systems in a consolidated platform is that would it be similar to that? I think it has a lot of similarities mm-hmm. to uh, a virtualized system. Uh, now, of course, the
2: virtualized system said, "Hey, I'm inside this server and it's not being well utilized for you know CPU and other cycles. Mm-hmm. So let me take advantage of that." Uh, and you've got a hypervisor that sits in the middle of your guest OS and any applications you might have running. Mm -hmm. In the case of Gen Z, what you're looking at is this is truly down at the hardware level. So I don't have that hypervisor that sits in the middle. Mm -hmm. I I can still put a hypervisor on top of it, but it's not a requirement. This is a fabric and turns out more like you, you might think of a, you know, ethernet where I have multiple things connected into a switch and I can uh, look at, at, what's on the end of that in the, these cases and say, oh, hey, I can I can use that better. And so, you know, the current day uh, possibility is what we think of it like NVMe over Fabric. Mm-hmm. That takes a bunch of drives that might otherwise be captive in a system, puts them out on a box on Ethernet, and now I can connect to those and share them across multiple systems if that's what I want to do. Uh, Gen Z, Allows you to do that at a much higher speed, and so I can attach to things like memory, which if you tried to attach to memory over Ethernet, it'd just be way too slow
1: for uh, the processor to really take advantage of. Uh, makes completely makes sense. So this Gen Z platform is—I uh, guess another word would be disaggregated, uh, disaggregated platform or server—is that would that be a correct term for that? Yeah, so the the industry, you kind of uses
2: two terms. Uh, one is disaggregated, meaning I'm, I'm splitting those components up. And then you, you'll also hear composable servers. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, they're talking about the same thing, right? One is more about the physical layout, the disaggregation, so I, sp- I separate these things. And the other is, okay, well, now that they're separated, I want to bring them back in the right shape or, or with the right characteristics for the workload I'm doing. And that works well for virtualized machines. So if I knew you – know, if you think about vMotioning, mm-hmm. I need to have very similar machines to vMotion from one to the next. Yep. And, and if that second server is missing something, then you know, I, I either can't vMotion or I have to be very careful about how I do it. Well, if instead I can build a system and say, I need this processor, I need this amount of memory, I need GPUs, or I need the right uh, Ethernet cards or whatever – and I can compose those all together well now I've built the exact system I want to do the vmotion and that can be done in you know a matter of seconds and then you vmotion you motion to this new machine and then the old machine if it's made of uh, uh, if it's composed out of this disaggregated component set you can break it down and reallocate those to the pool so that you're ready to build something new and that'd be extremely helpful if if something failed for example And you needed to to move to a new system. If you think about containers as we go forward, Mm -hmm. it becomes even more important, right? So containers are something that spin up very quickly, use some resources, and then oftentimes spin right back down. Well, uh, you, you could think about how you can use Gen Z to compose just the right resources for a container, let it do its work. When the container's done, you not just bring the software part of that down, you bring the hardware part down and the advantage of that is if you're waiting on some sort of particular resource it's out in the pool and if the the admin sees that that pool is depleted often it doesn't have to go out and buy a whole brand new server set it's just add more of that resource to the pool
1: okay oh, that's so cool so composable um i know you explain this but i'm i like to uh, simplify just from my mind sometimes uh, so you're looking at composable. Would that be in more reference to the orchestration of the disaggregated hardware? Would that, would that be a good way to, to simplify that? Yeah, that is a great way of describing it. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. And you know what's funny? I didn't think about the containers piece of it. Um, that I was going to actually ask, too, what are some, uh, some applications that you could see working best in the Gen Z platform? Um, containers, I know it's not an application per se, but that's a use case, right? Mm-hmm. What other applications would you say?
2: So one of the big ones would be databases, in in particular Mm -hmm. in-memory databases, Mm -hmm. where uh, if I put everything together in a a standard server and I have many terabytes of memory in that standard server, uh, that's kind of how a database works today. If that server, for some reason, has a problem, I need to take the server down, then I lose a lot of the information. Right, uh, and I leave, lose access to it. If instead, if I have that database sitting out in a memory pool that can be accessed by multiple systems, if I need to bring a server down for maintenance, I can just reallocate all that memory to a different server, and my uptime or my availability stays very high because I can, I can move the, the compute node from one to the next. And so we see a lot of advantage there. Plus, if your database starts to grow and you need more memory you don't have to again you don't have to bring the server down and add more memory or buy a new server with more memory you just add more memory into the pool and you're able to really
1: scale your database to whatever level you wish you know what that's awesome so in terms of databases you know some uh, pain points could be uh you know the uh, storage or capacity right as well as the compute function um, from a storage standpoint um, does, does uh, Gen Z address that uh, from a database perspective?
2: Yeah so you can also add storage onto Gen Z um, mm-hmm. and you know it, it can be done through NVMe drives um, or it, you can bridge across to some current storage you might have. So it, it kind of can You can do that if you wish. If you're kind of building everything up from grounds up, you might do it that way. If you're going into a a more brownfield type of environment, then you'd know, hey, there's already a bunch of storage there. You don't want to force customers to do a forklift upgrade of everything just to move to Gen Z. You'd say, hey, you're just buying some new server elements. Let's go ahead and disaggregate those. But if you've already got a very large investment in your storage we can wait for that, or we can use Gen Z to put a, a bit of a, a hot data set in front of it and use that as the, the warm and cold data. Uh, so a lot of that's going to depend on the customer's environment. So the uh, answer is, I guess, it depends uh, really on what you're doing and what you already have
1: in place. What about something like, you know uh, being at Dell, there's a large focus on uh, what they call high-value workloads, right? So workloads that yield a high return on investment for customers, such as uh, um, databases, for example, um, data analytics, uh, Hadoop clusters. Mm-hmm. So in terms of Gen Z, like the uh, what other applications would that support um, in ter- from a high-value perspective?
2: Yeah, so uh, if you think about all the machine learning stuff that's going on, uh, one thing you can do with Gen Z is put a pool of GPUs out into your environment and GPUs are, what, $10,000, $15,000 a pop mm-hmm. for some of these, these yeah, high-end ones. Mm-hmm. Um, if I put – you know, there's, there's some of the machine learning algorithms who want uh, four, eight, even now 16 GPUs in one box. And you go off and you buy that box, it's in the half-a-million-dollar range.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and,
2: it, and it's set up to do just that, that training set of machine learning. If instead I could put those 16 GPUs out on my, my general purpose network,
0: mm-hmm.
2: then when I go to do that training run, I bring all 16 to me and I use them all and, and get all the effectiveness that I had in that one box. In addition, when I'm not using them for that training exercise, which we hear from customers a lot that you know they don't run those daily. They run them maybe once a week or over a weekend or something. Well, now those are available for other uses. So some people imagine using them in a VDI environment, um, right? So during the week, I got a GPU assigned to a server to do VDI work or uh, in a a machine learning, but on the inference side, so I only need one GPU. I don't need all 16. Right, right. And so it, it takes those really expensive resources and allows you to allocate them in a way that makes it more efficient for you to purchase them and
1: really get the full utilization out of them. So in one system, you could potentially have a system that does both training and inferencing as well as other applications that um, that the business may need um, within. So, when, so let me ask you this. When you're talking about a system, what does that actually physically look like?
2: Yeah, so it, it comes in two forms. The easy one to kind of envision is you take uh, something – like a standard 1U, 2U server, a a 640, 740 type of a system. Mm -hmm. Um, And you add a card into it that talks Gen Z out the other side. So not terribly different from an Ethernet card versus a Gen Z card. The difference is Ethernet was set up on your I.O. side, and so it does I.O. speeds. Gen Z is set up on your memory side, so it runs at memory speeds, which is about 1,000 times faster. Uh, mm-hmm. as far as transfer rates go, bandwidth and, and uh, latency. So I get that set up, and, and then I have a Gen Z switch that connects to other servers as well as these pools of devices, pools of memory, pools of GPUs, pools of FPGAs, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the other way to do it would be to really slim down the server to something that just does compute and the, the easiest way to think about it is back to the Blades example, right? So the Blade has CPU. It has some memory on it. Uh, it does a little bit of connectivity, but it doesn't have all that expansion capability. Well, if you continue to, to shrink that down, you end up with a CPU with some memory and a Gen Z port. And then you get the rest of your memory, your storage, your expansion devices like GPUs and et cetera, all from your Gen Z interface.
1: Okay, so that was something I actually did not expect to bring up, but it sounds like the networking is also a big component of this. It's not just uh, compute and storage and, and GPU.
2: Correct, yeah. So, just depending on, again, usage model, mm-hmm. you could put your, your networking or your storage out on a, a Gen Z link and use that instead of having all of those things directly attached. And what that means is, you know, right now I put a NIC in every box, for example. Mm-hmm. And if I look at my rack and I'm, I'm deciding I need 25 gig or maybe even 100 gig ports in each server and I need two of them because I want some redundancy, I'm buying a bunch of NICs. Instead, I could put that in a box at the bottom where I maybe have eight NICs for an entire rack of servers. And, yeah, they're probably running at 200 or 400 gig interfaces, but... I've bought a whole lot less so I have less things to fail and uh, I've spent a lot less uh, of my my capex dollars on buying those systems
1: <laughs> so cool so uh, something that um, I had the the uh, privilege of going to your booth at SuperCompute 19 and just to see the architecture live I've been reading about it for a while actually and um, was pretty impressive um, and uh, You had pointed out to me even that day, uh, the networking piece. And it was funny because I can't believe I hadn't really thought about it (laughs) as being such an (laughs) instrumental piece of it. But then, like, really when you start to dissect everything that you're saying, of course it's a big piece, right? Like, I mean, how else are the different components going to communicate to one another in the application? So that's uh, pretty fascinating. What? Let me ask you this. So um, in terms of… products in the market i know you mentioned the mx 7000 um and uh there's other um uh, other companies i should say that have like uh, converge architectures or have a vision perhaps to gen z is there anything on the market today that even competes with that or is this a future state or dream state type of uh, solution
2: definitely a future state
1: yeah so uh
2: there is nothing really on the marketplace some there's some some things that are hinting at it uh nvme Mm -hmm. over fabric we already mentioned Mm -hmm. um, is is a truly a composable environment uh, um that's just kind of rolling out today into uh production environments um there are some other you know some companies that are doing stuff in this area Uh, liquid is one that has the ability to use pcie to kind of reach across and allocate either NVMe drives or GPUs into servers, um, and there, so we've we've worked with them in the past and, and even currently uh, looking at that solution as something that's interesting, and it's it's great if you're in a, a small radix environment, meaning you don't have a lot of connections, uh, but it doesn't allow for the expandability that Gen Z has, and it's also, well, it's fast I.O. It's still an I.O.-centric uh, interface, mm-hmm. and so you want to get to something like Gen Z that's a memory-centric interface uh, so that you get all the advantages of being able to talk at that memory speed. And, and one of them that may not be clear to some folks is if you think about when I talk to an I.O. device, it doesn't matter if it's a NIC card or a hard drive or whatever, I have to go through a software stack mm-hmm. because the CPU doesn't natively know how to, to speak to I.O. devices. And so you you see these drivers that you load when you Uh, add a new device. When you think about memory, CPUs just naturally know how to talk to memory. It's reads and writes, puts and gets types of things. So there's one instruction, and I'm immediately to what I'm trying to talk to. When you look at the driver side, that can be 10, 15, even 25,000 instructions before I get my first data access. And so it really drops off the time it takes you to get and either put data where you want it to go or bring the data in so the processor
1: can use it. In terms of what infrastructure looks like today, we're still SAN stored, you know, like SAN storage, compute, network. I mean, a lot of companies, that's still the backbone. A few years ago, there was a big transition to hyperconverged, right? So does this Interact, or could you hyper hyperconverged platforms be a part of this Gen Z, or would this replace it? We're talking about in the future.
2: Yeah, I don't, I don't think it replaces. It. In fact, I think it augments it. Um, you know, hyperconverged has the advantage of bringing all those key elements together and then sharing them across a the, a group of components, right? So, when when you start to think about Gen Z, all I'm doing is moving the way I construct the hardware that all the HCI sits on top of. And in particular, you know, data centers can take advantage of it. But even edge deployments now start to really take advantage of an environment where I can kind of pay as I grow. And I think that'll be important in our future because right now what's done on the edge might be point of sale type of stuff. Mm -hmm. What, what, you know, people had in the past, they're called point of sale. We now decide to call Edge. Um, but as that point of sale needs to get a little bit more intelligent about what it's doing and it wants to interface with the inventory control systems and all those other pieces, now you start to get, well, hey, I've got all this information. I actually want to use some AI techniques mm-hmm. to see if I can get some insights from it. So when that occurs, I now need to have maybe a GPU or two on that set up and I want to maybe put some more memory so I can store more of those and, and do these results quickly and do them locally and then just send the results back to a, a bigger database that might be held in a data center and so you're going to need these things so, you know I, I always talk to people I say you know imagine that you walk into your favorite retail store whether that's Target or Walmart or whatever mm-hmm. and, and you're one of their common customers so as you come in They can recognize your face with some simple AI tools that are available now, and they go, hey, Christian, you're in the store, and they watch you walk around, and they notice you stopped in front of the towels, and you spent five minutes there. But when you went to check out, you had no towels in your basket because they know when you checked out, nothing there. Well, what they can do is they can immediately send you a text that says, hey, today for you, I'm going to give you 25% off the towels. You haven't even left the parking lot yet, right? So, you might put your stuff in your car, walk back in, and buy those towels that you really wanted but couldn't quite justify the cost of and before you 've ever left their environment, you've got this great coupon to to help them sell you more things uh, and and so I see those things happening in retail. you can imagine the same things in kind of a manufacturing environment right. or you know pick, pick your pick your environment and by using AI to do this real-time compute and then get out to a decision that can be acted on quickly, uh, I think we're going to find a lot of advantages for businesses of all
1: types. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, uh, Recently, I talked to – I cannot remember his name, but he's a part of the IoT team at Dell and uh, told a story about um, – a mall that's being constructed right now, I think in Florida. So anyway, point being, it's one of the largest malls in America. It's gonna be, it's gonna have like amusement parks and just just a pretty (laughs) um, impressive structure with lots of attractions. And one of the things that the mall is working on is kind of what you just said, right? So if you go and buy some pants at a store or whatever, um, all that data is gonna be captured via Um, a receipt and so everything is being tracked up to your where you're parking and essentially what they're doing as the mall is looking to sell that data back to the uh, stores and that was just so fascinating to me because I hadn't thought about it that way you really typically we think of the stores collecting all this data but not the actual mall collecting the data to sell back to the stores right so it's just so impressive like how the world's changing Um, and um, in terms of how data is being used in mind to, uh, uh, I guess, in some cases to get in our pockets and in other cases to improve things such as healthcare. right? So it's an extremely fascinating time.
2: Yeah, it is. Um, You know, the the amount of data uh, from, you know, I I don't know if you've seen the IDC numbers, but uh, they said in 2020, the the world's going to generate somewhere around 40 uh, exabytes, no, not exabytes, uh, Uh, My goodness, what is it? Um, Essentially, it ends up at uh, 40 billion terabytes of data. Lots of zeros. Lots lots of zeros. And by 2025, they think we're at about four to five times that amount of data. And what it says is... Everything is going to be collecting data, you know, and it's some of it's simple stuff, right? Your your home thermostat, you know, whether you get mm-hmm. Nest or, or those kind of things, um, your cell phone, obviously, your car, uh, but all these all these stores, all these infrastructures that you use can also be collecting data, even what they you know, the smart cities that uh, they'll have as we move forward are going to be collecting data on you or general patterns that are being created and helping to decide, you know, should there be changes. If you can do that real time, it's much more effective, and that's where disaggregation and the ability to build things up uh, starts to really make a lot of sense for those kind of things too because I've got the components I need at my fingertips to make the decisions when I need them
1: mm-hmm you know one thing that we didn't bring up at the beginning of the call uh, uh, when working with the consortium you're working with lots of different companies and individuals and uh, which i personally think is so fascinating because you're getting to hear uh, viewpoints from different parts of the industry right so with that being said are there um, are you all looking to create a to standardize in the future, like how what does that look like when you're dealing with people from so many different viewpoints?
2: Yeah, so that's actually the reason that the consortium was was founded was mm-hmm. because we wanted it to be a standard.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so Gen Z is a group of about 70 companies mm-hmm. um, that all have you know the goal of having a common standard that everybody conforms to and makes it very interoperable. So you know if you buy memory from any of, of the folks like Samsung, Hynix, Micron, they all work together, much like DDR today does. Mm-hmm. Or if you buy plug-in devices on the other end, you know it works just like PCI does today so that you can plug those cards right into a PCI slot. You get the same advantage when those are at the end of a Gen Z link. So, yeah, well, that's that's a huge piece of Making sure this is standard, and you get all that interoperability, because otherwise you get to this thing that most customers don't like, which is vendor lock-in. Right? If you You're start, right. you know, if you if you buy this from Dell, you got to buy everything from Dell for the foreseeable future. Forever, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, you know, great, great for us here at Dell, but yeah. uh, you know, from a customer point of view, that's not optimal. And so we've made sure that that we do have a standard that anybody can use, and in addition to that, we've been very open. So all of our specs are available out on uh, Gen Z com or excuse me.org. Um, and so if you want to see what the, the latest specs are, you can go out there and anything released is, is open to public view.
1: So, what about joining the consortium? Um, if I was to uh, join, what is, I know there's, you may not have the date on that, but if I want to be a member, what does that consist of? So there's, there's
2: uh, different types of memberships. Um, the standard member, uh, to get there, you just go out to the GenZConsortium.org website, click on, hey, I'd like to be a member. Um, uh, what the, we call a standard member is one in you have the rights to be in all the work groups and build any of the products that you want to around Gen Z. It's a $10,000 a year membership fee. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're a university, there's an associate membership. That allows you to be in all those work groups and, and produce products if you wanted to do that as well, and it's no cost. And so you can come in and, and be a member if you're on a university or part of a government organization. Um, and then the other is what we call a limited member. So they don't get access to the work groups, but they have the, the rights to build any sorts of products that they'd want to. And that's, uh, I believe, uh, $7,500 a year for that membership. So it gets down to hey, if you're if you're wanting to build products, it's going to cost you something to join the organization. If you're wanting to do more proof of concepts and help in the spec creation, uh, that can be free if you're with a university or a government entity.
1: It, so I'm assuming if you're a part of the university or government government entity, you're still looking to contribute. You're not just it's it's not a passive membership. It's still we yes we I mean we want
2: people to come in and be active participants in the the Gen Z environment, uh, we've we've had a we've have a good participation rate amongst our membership.
1: So, like I said earlier, I got a chance to see you and talk to you at SuperCompute 19, and I like your your booth was my favorite, by the way. I spent <laughs> oh, I, I think I, yeah, I think I spent like three days over there, um, thirty minutes a, 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 a clip. So, where um, uh, where are you going to be next year for SuperCompute 20?
2: Uh, Super 220 20 is in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and so we'll be there and we'll be showing kind of a lot of the stuff you saw this year. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll be updated to new things. In addition, um, our target is to show a uh, GPU appliance. So this year you, you, you mm-hmm. saw the nice memory expansion box with the mm-hmm. open top, and you could see all the memory and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Next year we'll have a box that has something like four to eight GPUs in it being shared among multiple servers.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Are there any other conferences uh, where people can reach out or find you in between yeah. now and next October?
2: Absolutely. October? <laughs> so um, we, we go to Flash Memory Summit each mm-hmm. year, and so you would know, be able to find us there. Um, in addition, Dell uh, almost always has us in the server booth, and so we, we show off yeah. our Gen Z progress there. And uh, I'll give a plug for our competitor, HPE and their Discover event um, Mm -hmm. usually has a Gen Z section there too.
1: Okay, and uh, the website is genzconsortium.org. Are there any other uh, resources that customers can um, look up online? Um, Yeah, so there's – Gen Z also has a YouTube
2: website, so if you want to know more about it, there's from an introduction uh, to more detailed stuff, particularly around uh, security. There's also a group called Bright Talk, and we've done some nice Bright Talk uh, presentations. And so people can go to Bright Talk as well and and look there. Uh, And then if you kind of look up Gen Z and computer in one area, you can find a number of different articles that have been written over the years on Gen Z. Um, We're grateful for all the, the analysts in the press that have taken interest uh, and then the final place would be uh, Dell has blogs that have been done. I know Robert Hormuth has done a blog. I've done mm-hmm. a blog. There's a couple others. Mm-hmm. Um, in there, I would look for Gen Z as one area, but also composability uh, because some of them uh, come under composability Is kind of this is what you're
1: trying to do. Okay, absolutely. And then what about you? How could people reach out to you directly?
2: Uh, you know, if they are so inclined, I'd love to have <laughs> them… <laughs> Uh, one thing you could do it, maybe the easiest one is to go out to the Gen Z website and there's a, a place there to uh, put any questions you have and mm-hmm. that way if uh, you know if it's a technical question uh, one of the work group people will answer that probably better than I could
1: okay.
2: uh, uh, but uh, you know always reach out to me uh, here at Dell at Curtis.Bowman Bowman at Dell.com.
1: okay and Curtis, You are a rock star and a gentleman. I really appreciate your time. Did you have any questions for me?
2: Well, you know, so you obviously put this together, and and you have a a great set of listeners. Tell me a little bit about your your listener group, and uh, can I get this uh, to where uh, people outside of Dell can hear it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, website's being revamped, but it's talkingtoio.com. but you can subscribe to us on pretty much any major platform, so that iTunes being the major, one, the main one, right? Um, and then uh, I believe Stitcher, um, Luminaries. So we're on several platforms. Uh, this is actually looking at our third season. Uh, not as many shows as it should have been because we did take a year hiatus, but we are back and um, have a, a lot of um, episodes planned here for the next several months, actually. Uh, Listen group consists of, you know, Stuart and I um, have both been in the technology uh, industry for a long time, but we've done two different roles, but also similar. So we wanted to do a mixture of uh, um, uh, technical sellers, so um, sales engineers, but then also have it to where it's not overly technical and decision makers can. find some nuggets out of this to help drive business decisions right so we were trying to find this delicate balance between uh, decision makers and technicals and technical sellers so wanted the show to be of interest to both and um, definitely uh, again you can look us up on iTunes I also for those who uh, are on LinkedIn I post the show on LinkedIn so once it post curtis i'll let you know and i'll also have the show notes in terms of the uh blog sites and the websites you listed so i'll make sure they indicate all those as well
2: all right well that sounds great and uh i'll make sure the consortium uses our our uh social media to help uh push this out as well
1: that is awesome i really appreciate your help and your time um and have a good day you do the same thanks again all right take care
0: this has been another episode of Talking IO with hosts Christian Cloud and Stuart Harmon. We appreciate you listening. Follow us on talkingio.com or on Twitter at Talking IO.